0: Today's scripture reading will be coming from the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Can we all rise for the reading of God's word? Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak, and he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him put the words in his mouth. And I be with you, your mouth. And with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning, everybody. Help us so to hear your holy word. That we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we are in chapter 4 of Exodus, and in chapter 4 of Exodus, we saw last week God is saying, I am who I am, giving him the name above all names, and this is how Moses answers In the beginning of this chapter, he said, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. That didn't really happen. You're not really God's servant. And a real fear is awakened in Moses, or perhaps it was always there. This is the fear of man. The fear of other people. The fear of other people is a real thing. And it really does block us from seeing who God is and what God can do. The fear of people blocks from us seeing who God is and what God can do. And God answers Moses by showing him two signs and tells him of one other And like last week, I want to remind you, nothing is done out of random. Like the burning bush that wasn't consumed, that wasn't random. And God just doesn't do things willy-nilly, just saying, you know what? I just feel like doing this, but there's a reason for it. And he said to Moses, this is God's response to Moses, when Moses is like, I'm afraid of what they're going to say. I'm afraid of what people will think if I go back and do this. And he says to him, What's that in your hand? A staff. Moses replies, and God says, throw it on the ground. And when he threw it on the ground, it became a snake or a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Every time I read this, I I always giggled. I don't know why, because the picture is that, you know, Moses is now bare feet. He's in the presence of the Almighty I Am, Yahweh, right? And now Yahweh is telling him, look, I'm going to show you my power. Throw the staff in your hand. And he throws it, becomes a snake, and he just runs, right? So the picture, I, I always kind of giggle. Maybe you don't find it as funny, but uh, I always, ran, I always uh, found it funny because Moses is like this man's man. He was educated, he was strong, he could fend off all these, like, like, bad people, save seven daughters, that kind of thing. And once it becomes a snake, he runs. <coughs> but I do believe that Moses, because he was educated, that that snake needed to be ran from does that make sense so he knew what kind of snake to look for he's 80 years old he's experienced he knows what's poisonous what's really poisonous and what's deadly and what's you know just like a baby snake ha ha baby snake and play around with it so he knew the difference and so this one it was dangerous so he ran and then it says but god says wait catch it by the tail and um, that is opposite of what you should do with a snake. I believe that is like the last thing you probably want to do with a snake is catch it by the tail, especially if it's poisonous. And then God also goes, all right, then now put your hand in your cloak. And he puts his hand in his cloak, take it out. And once he takes it out, it becomes leprous. Why the snow? And, this is, a, and it, 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 this is like the disease of diseases, and they puts it back in, and then it becomes restored. It's like, hey, that's fine. And then he gives them these two signs, and he goes, if, he doesn't, if, he, if they don't believe you still, what I want you to do is I want you to take some water from the Nile and then pour it on dry ground, and that water you take from the Nile will become like blood on the dry ground. So what do these things mean? These three things mean, let's get to it. Well, snake was very important for people in Egypt. And in fact, Pharaoh would have a crown and guess what would be on top of that crown? It would be a snake. There's archaeological evidence of this. People still, you know, draw, have depictions of this. And that snake represented some, uh, something that we now know as Uraeus and it was um, representing the goddess Wajet. And this is an upright cobra. And I always wonder, it's like, why don't they just say cobra in the Bible? Why do they always go serpent or snake? And then I found out because the word cobra didn't exist until the 1800s. So there's an elementary school lesson for you. But um, so it was probably a cobra, but it was one of the earliest Egyptian deities, and it would put it on, the, on this crown because it showed that only a king or a deity could wear this crown. But this deity would protect you. So this Cobra became this patroness, this goddess became a patroness of Egypt, saying this is the protector of all Egypt. This is the power of Egypt. That's what it represented. And by putting that Cobra as a head ornament, that meant that this pers- this Pharaoh would not only be protected, but would be able to control it all the power of egypt uh, i looked at so you know did it have to be a cobra now scholars say it was definitely the egyptian cobra and the egyptian cobra is it's actually uh very dangerous a bite from an egyptian cobra can kill an adult elephant in like uh, a few hours or something like that and um if you get bit by one of these uh, Egyptian cobras, then your nerves and your, and your body starts failing. And eventually you'll die, like a human will die in a few minutes from respiratory failure because you, your lungs just won't work anymore. So if it was a cobra, yes, I would probably run too, especially if the cobra stood upright. And the upright cobra is what's on Pharaoh's head, meaning I'm ready to strike, and if I strike you, you're going to die. And so there are other cobras in Egypt. I did look it up. There's like the black desert cobra, the red spitting cobra. There's the painted saw-scaled viper, the Egyptian carpet viper, Indian saw-scaled viper, Sahara sand viper, fields horned viper, Saharan horned viper, and then there's the Egyptian cobra. So all these snakes in Egypt are poisonous. And I was thinking, wait. I'm just going to do some research because I have nothing better to do with my time. So I looked, and none of these cobras are really big. Like the longest of all these poisonous uh, cobras, uh, the longest I've seen can go up to maybe 80 centimeters, like two to three feet, which is not a staff. And the longest, the biggest one, of course, happens to be the Egyptian cobra. I just really think it was probably the Egyptian cobra. Uh, All the scholars now, biblical scholars too, and archaeological scholars do think that anything like that was the Egyptian cobra. And the Egyptian cobra is extremely, extremely poisonous. And when it's on its, um, when it's like standing up and it's ready to strike, that's when it coils its tail. And if you go near it, you're probably going to die. It's best to run. But this is what God says. Now you can imagine. Take it by the tail. Like, how? <laughs> like, what do I do? Do I distract it with this left hand? They're like, oh, I got it. So you're just trying to imagine what Moses is doing. But once he does it, it becomes a staff again. The most dangerous, the most poisonous and venomous and most toxic of animals of things with God, even grabbing it at the weakest part, would make it harmless. And we see this happen before. Like, who stopped Pharaoh's decrees? Wasn't it people that they didn't even care about? They didn't even give credit to or take their testimony. You know what? is the midwives. You just, just do what I say. They didn't. They usurped Pharaoh's command. Secondly was his own daughter who saved Moses and we see here that this is how God is working and we see here that even with God grabbing the weakest part of what would be the most powerful venomous dangerous thing the power of Egypt he can make harmless the second part is leprosy and leprosy you might think well oh, leprosy what is what is that even and why do we even have to worry about it you know leprosy has been the scourge of all of humanity since we knew of it and if you look back into archaeological evidence there's evidence that leprosy had existed from ancient Egypt the time this book was written and They couldn't do anything about it in fact they couldn't do anything about it all the way up until 1873 that means leprosy existed if you had leprosy you're probably going to die your fingers are going to fall off you get all these lesions on your skin you couldn't feel because it it, um, attacks um, your nervous system and so you can't even feel things Um, one of my favorite books growing up as a kid were Jack London books. I love Jack London books, um, but I'm not like a wilderness man. I'm like the opposite. You know, if I go to Japan, I'm really excited about those bidets because it's like comfort on another level. Uh, but not a wilderness man. I couldn't imagine myself like going to the woods and then not having toilet paper or a bidet. I don't know. I, mean, I think if I would go, I would bring wet wipes. Like, that's the kind of person I am. But um, this, uh, this, this leprosy um, was just ravaging humanity, ravaging humankind, and they couldn't do anything about it until 1873 when someone found out this is actually a germ or a virus. And they named it Microbacterium leprae. And uh, they knew that this was not some kind of just a spiritual curse. That this is actually some bacteria that's causing this. But could they heal it? Um, they found in 1941 that they made this drug called Promin, And you could put Promin in and you could clear, uh, um, cure leprosy. And, you know, this affects everything. Oh, I, I mentioned the Jack London thing. I just skipped by it. But it's because it affects the hands a lot. And when you see people, like, the hands and the extremities are the first things to go. And Jack London was really, like, into hands. Um, he, he wrote a really short story called To Build a Fire. I don't know if you've read it in elementary school, but I loved it. Um, it's about how a, a man's life, is in his hands and he meant that kind of like a pun because the guy loses his hands to frostbite so he sees like everything that i need to do to build a fire to keep warm i need hands but it's frostbitten so they're like stumps so he's trying to light a match with just stumps of hands because they're all it's his hands are frozen and he finally gets one started and then he starts it under this tree and the tree had snow on it so the snow falls on top of the fire that he barely made I mean, I'll ruin the story for you. It's a short story. You'll read it in five minutes. Like, he dies, right? Uh, but <coughs> but um, the hands are so important. So when you have leprosy, too, I, I was imagining, like, not being able to feel anything. Everything that we do is with our hands. So not being able to feel, not being able to use it well, having your um, just your fingers start falling off because when you get cut, you don't even feel it, right? But we feel it. We don't have lepers, but so we feel it. So when you step on a nail, you feel it. You're like, ow, nail, you know? And then what do you do? You take out the nail, you get disinfectant, or you put on some ointment, you put a bandage, and you walk carefully on it. But what if you didn't feel it? What if you didn't feel it? You just walk with that nail, sometimes for hours. And in a lot of cases, we, we read in some accounts, like, for days, and then affection the would grow, and then your limbs would start falling off. And then uh, Dr. Paul Brand, he was a big guy in this. He wrote a book also with a famous Christian author named Philip Yancey. He wrote write that pain is such a blessing. Without pain, you don't know what's going on. But with pain, you know something is wrong, and that is a blessing because you can do something about it. Right? We're like, oh why is this pain happening to me? This is so terrible. We think like that, but he's saying, look at those people that don't have these registers for pain. It's a curse because they don't know that, you know, they're actually holding on to something that was incredibly hot, and your hands are all burned, but you don't even feel it. And then, you know, you just slowly rot away from the outside. And it's such a horrific disease, and it didn't have there was no cure for it and then in 1941 this means millennia passed with people getting leprosy millennia after millennia after millennia with people getting leprosy in 1941 they got this this drug called Promin, but it required many many painful injections um and so in 1950 they got another drug which you could just take pills it's called daspone but they the the bacteria started to get resistant to this pill, so it stopped working. And finally, in 1981, they had a multi-drug treatment that can cure and heal leprosy, but that drug treatment takes 6 to 12 months of you taking. So this is not a small disease. We're lucky that we're not in a place where leprosy like we have to be careful oh this person's leprous we it's contagious we might get it but it was dangerous for a long time so the first one we see the snake Egypt's power what's the second one leprosy this is a power as powerful as Egypt was leprosy was something they couldn't conquer in fact Dynasty after dynasty, kingdom after kingdom, as powerful and as awesome you think they are. Oh, Alexander the Great. Oh, Genghis Khan. I think I have some of his blood in me, that kind of thing. As powerful as these dynasties are, they had nothing on leprosy. And you see that with God, even the most debilitating disease that the world would know for many millennia is like nothing. But mind you, these are signs. That means they're pointing to something. This is what we have to also be aware of. And he goes, finally, if they don't believe the first two signs, I want you to do the, do this. I want you to pour out water from the Nile, and it will become blood on the dry ground. And you might be like, what, what is that about? So Cobra was Egypt's power leprosy was a power greater than egypt and god is showing i am more powerful than both of these but what was the nile the nile was their source of life it's what made egypt black remember we said the word egypt or the nation's name egypt meant black and black really just meant it was fertile black soil now if you drive around a lot of homes With uh, the weather getting nicer, a lot of people have all this topsoil. Like even I was driving to church today, they had bags and bags of topsoil because this is how they want to, you know, use their lawn, fertilize their lawn with uh, some fertilizer, topsoil, and things like that so that they could get some vegetation or, you know, some biodiversity like we talked about last week. But that's what the Nile brought. And with that brought life. So the Nile was not just about black soil, irrigation, and even life. It was the source of their life. It's what made Egypt prosperous. And God is showing us even what you think is the source of life. What do you think the source of your life is? What is that one thing, or things maybe, Where you say, if I don't have this, I'm going to die. If I don't have this, my heart's going to sink. And I won't be able to just survive. And God is showing, God is greater than the greatest thing you know. God is greater than the greatest thing you know. And he's showing him, him these three things. But this is how Moses responds. He goes, oh, Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your service. I am slow of speech and tongue. Well, fear of man or fear of the other person really turns out to be, it really turns out to be this really deep insecurity that Moses has. Fear of other people and what other people will think and watching out, because in Korean, we have a word for it. Like if you have this, uh, you have, um, I think it's directly translated eye power. But if you have this, then you can, you know, really be successful in life. But fearing other people really turns out to be a deep insecurity. And it showed itself in moses what happened to moses in the prime of his life in the prime of our life we could, we think we could do it all bring it on world i can conquer you i can do it all. but when you fail and you will fail you give up and you raise sheep why why, why do i say that because even genesis when we took, uh, when we did genesis Joseph tells his brothers, when, they, when Pharaoh asks you what your occupation is, he goes, tell Pharaoh that your ac- occupation is a shepherd. Because shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. They're like the lowest of the low in occupations. They're dirty. We don't even like to um, associate with them. So be a shepherd. So Moses went from, I can do anything. I put my beautiful mind to and also my beautiful body Two. I can't do anything at all now that he's 80 I can't do anything I just want to live in this remote land where no one will bother me and to top it off I'm not a good speaker and some some people and scholars say maybe he was a stutterer or he was slow of speech and some even pe- some people even say because um, he couldn't speak the native language Hebrew because he learned Egyptian growing up. And I could really relate to that. It's as if God would come to me and say, you know, Eugene, I want you to preach to this Korean church in Korean. And I would respond, can't do that. I don't speak that language. I'm really bad. In fact, if I speak Korean, you could tell That guy doesn't speak Korean well. (laughs) There there are are things like ticks, verbal ticks that you give away and you speak uh, Korean like English words. And growing up uh, a Korean American, I spoke English words like Korean words and I didn't know the difference until I met friends who corrected me. Uh, I had a friend come in that I met in Hawaii. He lives in the Midwest. He's like, Eugene, I'm gonna visit you. I was like, all right, bro, come visit me and um, he said what what street do i have to get on and tell me the address and i said you have to go to and this is a street in queens is k-i-s-s-e-n-a k-i-s-s-e-n-a uh i pronounce kisena kisena that's uh, that's what i said it's kisena boulevard and he went what i said kisena k-i-s-s-e-n-a and after a few minutes he's like that's casino fool and i said whoa i didn't know sorry but whenever i heard people say it it would be korean people and they would go oh yeah take kisena boulevard right they would say that and that's how i learned it I thought, oh it's kisena boulevard oh boulevard i get boulevard but i would still say kisena kisena right and then so i don't i don't even know how to pronounce certain words i can't do it so i really relate to that god i can't do that maybe english maybe english um when I could never stand even in front of a crowd i would get so nervous the first time i stood in front of a crowd not to sing uh, when i was a kid i was sing a lot in front of people but never speak speaking was something that i couldn't even handle thinking about i would get so nervous the first time i stood up in front of people was a small class it was a debate class in high school and in high school we had to come up with an intro and you know all these things where we challenge certain points of the other team. And I stood up because I, I, I liked debating. I just didn't like standing in front of people. And I remember I had my piece of paper and I was gonna give my rebuttal and my knees were knocking together so badly I, my knees got bruised. It was like bah, 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 bah. it was like hitting each other so badly. So I can also relate to being nervous and I could relate to that. So Moses went from, I could do everything, to I can't do anything at all, to top it off, I can't even speak well. Uh, whether it's a stutter, or he was really slow of speech, or he couldn't speak the native language, whatever it was, he couldn't do it. But here's what's going on. If you think about all the things that I spoke about, and all the things that's going on with Moses, where's the focus? where is the focus me me focus it's like if i continue to see everything in the world just through me that's almost almost ridiculous it is ridiculous it's like putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable and living and talking that way over and over again it's silly it doesn't make sense why would you do that so when i even when i read the bible if i continue to put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable this is how i might read it blessed be the lord blessed be the god of, and the father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. And what's wrong with that? Some of you are giggling. What's wrong with that? It's because, We are putting the emphasis on the wrong things. In life, if we continue to do that, we see it's getting skewed more and more, and it paralyzes us. But God responds to that insecurity. Don't you see what he's doing? God responds to that insecurity, but he doesn't cater to your insecurity. You know what he never says? He never says to to Moses, Moses, you can do it. You can do it, buddy. Look at you. You're amazing. You're a chiseled piece of work. You got what it takes. God never says that to Moses. This is what God says to Moses. Look at me. That's what God is saying to Moses. When God calls you, the emphasis isn't on you. And if you do, you'll either end up thinking, I can conquer the world, I can do it, or failing, giving up, running away. And if you think really deeply about it, this is the exact two messages the world has on repeat. You can do it. You just have to believe in yourself. The power is inside of you. You can do it. How many movies have we seen? Comedy, not comedy, drama, some kind of whatever it is. You can do it. Just look deep inside yourself. Catch that ball and run that touchdown, boy. You know that kind of thing. Here's the other message: You suck. You're so ugly. You're fake. Just go on Facebook. <laughs> put something and you'll see the comments go but i want you to think about it even more these exact two messages that the world has on repeat is the same message because the focus is on you and god is showing moses and us that the focus isn't supposed to be on us we cannot handle the weight of the world and it's not normal that the weight of the world should be on us but god is able he created it he controls it he's the one that commands it stop putting the focus on you it's a lie god calls god sends god equips it's all god i mentioned that i could never stand in public sing maybe but never speak and my knees were just knocked together in high school. And now I can. And in debate class, I was good at debate. I really enjoyed debating. And people could respond this way. Oh, it's because you worked hard and pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, boy. You know, this statement is literally impossible. Think about it. You cannot, if you're fallen, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I want you to try it when you go home. This is safe to try at home. Put on boots with bootstraps and pull yourself up. You will look like a fool. It's literally impossible. And the people who said this phrase knew it was an impossible feat. And that's the irony here. The irony is that we're to convince ourselves that we can do this impossible feat on our own. But I want to say, as long as the focus is on yourself, you'll never see God. They call it navel-gazing for a reason. Stop putting the focus on yourself. It doesn't belong there, and you can't handle it. And this is where sin comes in. Oh, yeah? Just watch me. Watch me pull myself up. After all that, After all that God shows him, this amazing, two amazing signs and a third, even more amazing, to come. Please, please just send someone else. And it says here that the anger of the Lord was kindled. The fire has been lit. And we talked about a consuming fire what does it consume fine use aaron he can speak the language right he's a hebrew he's korean he can speak korean right use aaron but once the fire of the lord has been kindled who can stop it we didn't read this but i want to do all of chapter four today and they continue to go moses goes i gotta go gets his blessing from Jethro right and then it says in uh, verse 24 at a lodging place the Lord found him and when the Lord found him he was gonna kill him and this is where it gets really almost cryptic in the Bible a lot of people are like what is going on scholars debate this is what it means this is what it means in verse 25 it says then Zipporah which is Moses's wife took a flint which is a sharp stone and cut off her skin uh, son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. Excuse me. And then that, it was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. So at a lodging place, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. A lot of people don't know if it was, it really clearly says Moses or his son Gershom. But it was either or to me. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Remember, we talked about in Genesis. The firstborn is even more precious than you. It's your lifeblood. So losing your firstborn, that's why killing Isaac was probably harder to Abraham than even killing himself if God were to command it. So whatever the case is, this is an incredible thing that's about to take place because once the fire's been kindled, who can stop it? That's a good question because then Zipporah takes a flint, cuts off her son's foreskin. So basically, Zipporah circumcises his son. That means his son was not circumcised because if if he was circumcised, there'd be no foreskin to cut off. Then she's just mutilating uh, her foreskin, right? So, So Zipporah saw this coming, and she knew what needed to be done. Moses didn't do it. We don't know why. It doesn't say Moses didn't. Some people are like, oh, it's because Moses was lazy. Moses didn't have faith. Whatever the case was, Moses didn't do it. His son was not circumcised. That is evident in this passage. And so Zipporah circumcises his son and then throws it at Moses' feet or touches Moses' feet. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. It's like, what's that even mean? So God, but God leaves him alone. And then... She started saying, and then people started saying, this is a, this circumcision has everything to do with a bridegroom of blood. This points us back to Genesis, when circumcision was first given to Abraham. It's a sign of the covenant. And in the covenant, we are shown that God keeps his covenant with his people. It's a sign of the covenant Circumcision was a sign of, a, of the covenant that God is the one that will keep you. God is the one that will hold you. God is the one that will save you. And in faith, Zipporah did that, knowing that this would save Moses and her son. There is a mention of blood before too. Before this passage And that was when the water of the Nile was poured out, and when it was poured, I want to hit the hit the ground. It would be like blood. These three things are really reminiscent of this one parable that Jesus told. And he, when he entered uh, Jerusalem, he told this one parable, and that was he goes here, here another parable. There was a master who planted a vineyard, put in the walls, the fences, dug a wine press. And then he leased it to these tenants, and he went to another country for a while. And when the season for fruit came, he sent his slaves or servants to pick up some of that fruit. And you have to understand, people understand that if you lease it and people take care of this vineyard, even if it's not yours, they get to keep it so that they have enough to sustain themselves and for the rest of the year, and then they can, you know, buy stuff, live there. It's like basically a a really nice deal. But when he said, let me get some of that fruit, his tenants took the servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another. He's like, let me get some of that fruit. Because who, who does this, who does this uh, vineyard belong to? It belongs to the owner. When he gets some, let me get some of that fruit, they kill all the servants that he sends. So he sends them again. He sends other servants, more than the first. It's a more powerful sign than the first. And they do the same to them. And finally, the owner says, you know what? I'm going to send my son. They're going to respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is his heir. Come, let's kill him. And if we kill him, we could have the inheritance. And we know this past, there was an amazing sign that Moses was given. A second even more amazing. But then the third, they will believe my son. They will respect him. But they killed him. Jesus goes on to quote Psalm 118 and he says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so when you think about it, you see the truth that Jesus is saying. All of Scripture, even chapter 4 of Exodus, speaks of Jesus. In Romans 8, it says, for we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All of creation, even we could see it in Exodus, that they've been waiting for this moment to come. When Paul will write in the letter to the Romans, until Jesus, Jesus is the culmination of scripture. Jesus is what people were waiting for. And God has been showing that things may seem dark now. But if you want to shoulder that task, it's impossible. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is mighty. He is able. Not only did we mention blood, but now we want to mention the bridegroom. What's that mean? Um, There was a, a very popular wedding that happened in the weekend. I didn't really follow too much, but whenever I would turn on the news, I try to, I try to watch at least 30 minutes uh, a day. And then whenever I would turn on the news, they would, they would be talking about this. And so I remember I was in one of our Japan members' cars, she was taking me back home, and then I just read this one um, headline out, and it was about Meghan Markle, and her Gucci dress, and then she laughed at me um, because it's apparently not pronounced Gucci; it's Gavonci or Gavonki or whatever it is. It's 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 something else, right? And so this is a huge thing that everybody apparently knows about, and I am not cultured enough to understand. But when I was watching the news, they asked, they had the, these two experts in uh, British royalty out, and then there's one interviewer. And the interviewer asked them this question, does it matter that she's an American? Because Meghan Markle, the one that was getting married, is an American. And they answered like this, they went, no. No, it doesn't matter that she's American. And then they qualified it by saying something else. They said, oh, it matters that they love each other. It matters that they love each other. Does it matter that she's an American? doesn't matter about what you were before, what you did before, who you are, what your pedigree is, where you're from, what your background is, what's the most important thing. Most important thing now is she is the Duchess of Sussex. Hope I pronounced that one right. She's the Duchess of Sussex before She was just Meghan Markle. Meaning, if you wanted to go into the royal palace, you'd be like, boom, I'm here. I'm Meghan Markle. They'd be like, who are you? No, it would be barred. But now, when she was dating Prince Harry, Harry, right, and um, she got married, no one goes, who are you? Who are you that you can come into the royal palace? They go, I know who you are. You're the duchess. Of course you can come in. We have been married. The church has been married. Jesus is our bridegroom. So people go, who are you? Guess who we are? we the bridegroom of blood. What was spilled for us, now we can be married into Christ. And Christ is showing his people, his church, eyes on me. Eyes on me. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, Let us run this race with endurance, the race that was set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's who Jesus is. What matters isn't you. You. What matters is him, and that changes everything about you because it matters who God is. And that's what the Lord is reminding his church, reminding his people in this passage. And I want to challenge you that it's listening to this message now. What's your insecurity? What's your fear? Is it fear of others? It's like, I don't care about what other people think, but you know what? I'm going to live by myself in a hovel. That's my dream, you know, to get a lake, live in a house. No one bothers me. Me and my books. That's literally what I said, I think, a few weeks ago, and then I read this and I repented. But what is it that you're afraid of? What is your insecurity? You know what? God responds to that. He doesn't go, oh, you're so beautiful. You're so good looking. You could do it. He goes, And as a church, what are we facing? As individuals, what are you facing? As families, what are you facing? And God is reminding you, you want to run this race. You want to go through the tough times. Look at me, and you'll make it. Look at Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, for many of us, our confession is things may seem dark now. And if we are to shoulder that task, it's impossible. But Lord, we thank you that you are able and that you have. And that the work is finished. And all we have to do is believe in your name and follow you. For the blood has already been spilled and poured out for your people. And now the righteousness that we have been clothed with is not our own, The things that are accomplishes are not our own, but it's yours. So when we run this race, help us to keep our eyes on you so that we can finish the race, the tasks that are set before us. Let's take this time to pray, meditate on the message that we've been given, and ask the Holy Spirit, the mark of a believer, ask the Holy Spirit If you have insecurities, Moses did. But live before the Lord and say, this is who I am. And that's why I want to put my eyes on you. Help me. Help me, Lord. This is what I'm afraid of. If I lose this, this is my everything. But I know that's not true. It's not the source of life you are. I want to keep my eyes on you. No matter what. Holy Spirit move in your church let's pray